All right, we're back for another episode. Uh, how's it going, Will? Uh, it's going good, man. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the holidays. I had a lot of people over uh, at my place, but you know, I had some food, had family in town, and it's been a little busy today, but glad to be recording another episode of our new podcast. Cool, yeah. Uh, we We did sort of the same, but probably not as many people as you. Uh, since most of my family is not here, uh, but yeah, we had like yeah. six or seven people here, so okay, it was, it was a lot. Yeah, actually, we had more of a friends thing. Like one friend came. <laughs> oh uh, wow! Yeah, one one friend and her kid came over because uh, you, you know, like my wife's family is not really American, so right. Uh, Thanksgiving doesn't really make sense to them, but. Yeah, here we are, another year, an- another Thanksgiving. Who is this dude? You know, this this guy looks like uh He looks like he the might guy from be the block. On, <laughs> yeah. He also might be on one of the leaderboards for Bifinex or something. Could be. Yeah, this guy looks like I mean, a it, what's his name? Larry Cermak from from the block. Yeah, you yeah, know, the, yeah. the yeah, tall the dude. Tall one. Yeah, the one who used to play bass basketball that that's funny our immediate like thought of how to recognize larry sermark was his height yeah he's tall <laughs> and we thought the same thing he's yeah. tall yeah hope he's doing well i think uh he just recently had a kid oh wow didn't hear yeah. about that yeah all right so let's take a quick look at uh how wrecked we are before we dive into the news uh this this is the daily chart don't worry it looks like it's downtrending but if we <sighs> Hop over to the 15-minute chart. You know, there's some nice pumping going on. Uh, what do you think, Will? Is this the exit pump, you know, where <laughs> we're uh, I don't know, man. If you, 7% if you, from the bottom. Yeah, if you zoom in on that one-minute window, I think we can get a good little trade room going. You know, probably a Yeah, let's a good try the one-second uh, chart. All the crap, yeah, the one-second yeah, yeah. chart doesn't look so good. Oh, oh. I don't even have the one second chart because I, I don't have a paid account right now. Uh, but yeah. The one minute chart looks okay, sort of. Not really. <laughs> yeah. But I guess to answer your question, you know, broadly, I still think we're going to see some more fallout from this FDX stuff. Um, I wouldn't really put it past some of the figures. What was it? Arthur Hayes gave recently. He was calling for like a 10K BTC. Yeah, I don't think that's entirely out of the realm, and I know people don't want to hear that, but it's it's yeah. a possibility, a real one. Yeah, he was tweeting about how he was like buying puts for, I don't know, five hundred dollars or eight hundred bucks for ETH or something. ETH yeah, expiring yeah. in March, twenty twenty three. So, mm. you know, maybe he's expecting uh, another March is fall down little, there. Yeah. March is kind of a little close, but we'll see. Well, you know, maybe it's good to get it done with. <laughs> like, if it's going to drop down to 500, you yeah. know, let's, let's just do it soon. But, but yeah, he has we, more experience than both of us. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that, that, that might be a hedge for him. You know, like maybe he yeah, actually expects it to go up and he's protecting his downside or, He's expecting it to go That's down. Right. <laughs> you yeah. 
yeah, you never know uh, what the the real story is there. Um, but yeah, pe people got a bit excited this week. Uh, you know, I saw a lot more activity on Twitter than I think the last two weeks because we did see sort of a pump. Um, a few altcoins were pumped pretty well as well, you know, seeing like 20 to 40% in the past few days. But, you know, like, important to keep things in perspective. Like, what's the reason? If there is mm -hmm. no reason, then it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I don't think it's going to continue. Um, so hopefully that means it will for all of our sakes. Uh, but yeah, I, I did see an interesting uh, tweet from Justin Bennett. It was a couple of days ago. I guess there was a like five hundred dollar wick on BTC, and it was in the matter of like an hour. And it kind of tweeted, "Who just did this?" Because it looked like a classic, you know, uh, fake out mm. type pump. Yeah. See if I can send it to you to pull it up on the screen, but I thought it was funny. Yeah, I'm looking for that wick. Yeah. I think someone sent it to me. I'm going to check my DMs. Oh, maybe it's this one. Here yeah, it is. yeah, this one was about 500 bucks here. Yeah. Yeah. You can pull it up. I posted it. In the chat. <laughs> All right, Twitter. Twitter's not really working today. And Elon Musk supposedly made it faster. Come on, Elon. So, shame on Elon. Well, on we'll let that load in the background. Um, maybe it'll load in the background. We'll see. But for the time being, let's go ahead and talk about Sam Bankman-Fried, once again, things just get weirder and weirder every single day. So for those who might have missed it, um, he did an interview with Andrew Sorkin uh, from the New York Times. Uh, and no, so, sorry, he's uh, from CNBC, I believe. I think he's the co-host of uh, one of the shows there, Squawk Box. Uh, but this event was put on by the New York Times and uh, he was basically like the, the host, I guess. And It was called Deal Summit, right? Um, like Deal, yeah, Deal Book. Deal Book or Summit. Or Deal Book. Yeah. yeah. And it featured a variety of people uh, and one, one of them, of course, was uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, which we talked about on last episode. And before we dive into this, like I just want to express my feelings about how things have been progressing and just how weird it is. Like he obviously did something very, very bad. Um, and these days on Twitter and on other kind of spaces, uh, you can basically be canceled for saying the wrong thing, you know. So if you're mm -hmm. If if you say something that's against the the views of you know whatever website or newspaper, their response is they'll publish something to basically cancel you. And the idea there is like they want to 
say bad things about you, they want to deplatform you, etc. So you can get canceled for saying something, but when you steal $10 billion of your client's funds, you're basically put on... Um, it's just like a whole show now, it seems. Like, how is he not in jail? And why is he being basically applauded by newspapers and um, media properties like the New York Times, like the Washington Post, uh, who are strangely trying to present him as one of the victims in this whole thing. Like, it just, it's just so weird that you can actually commit a, you know, I don't know if it's actually a crime yet, but it seems to me what he did could be interpreted as fraud. Like, if you actually uh, do something that could be fraud, uh, nothing bad happens to you. You know, you know he's not being cancelled. Um, and at the same time, you know, if you say the wrong thing, like if you don't do something but you say the wrong thing, you know, you can you lose your whole platform. So, like, what's what do you think is going on here? Well, it's it's just so weird to me. Yeah. So, I think personally, he has probably the most world class crisis uh, team under his belt right now, and it's interesting what he's doing. You know, it it seems like he just keeps doing this apology uh, stance. Yeah. You know, he just keeps apologizing blankly and you know we already know that he's kind of paid um some of these publications uh in the form of donations and you're seeing all these uh content you know pieces come out like the vox article etc they're just painting him as you know the smart kid yeah. who made a small mistake right but <laughs> the, this man had like $10 billion in customer funds, which, you know, were used for, it's not quite clear yet, but I think we can gather a decent idea. Yeah. But yeah, he's kind of hiding behind this apologetic stance, I think. And it seems like he's just really trying to craft a narrative yeah. to sway a jury when this, um, you know, reaches the courts and everything. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting that like the media is supposed to be objective and I think at at, yeah. at some point maybe when we were younger like we certainly didn't know as much about the world as we do now but maybe things were a bit more objective then like or maybe not but like what is done is done right cuz he he did donate a lot of money to some of these uh, websites and newspapers and different kind of properties. But, but at the same time, it's like that money has already been exchanged. But now, you know, we have a situation where he clearly did something bad. Uh, right. So it's like, is, is the money, you know, like what's going to happen? You know, is, is it something where if you, write something bad about him, he's not, he's going to take the money back. Like, I don't think that's how it works. Because, uh, you know... I, I think his... Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think the level of, of treatment he's yeah. been given from the media is far different than the level of treatment others. Yeah. 
would have not in the same scenario. You know, this is kind of an unprecedented scenario, but you know, in the same extent, like he's definitely been given a favorable, uh, you know, I'd even call it, you know, uh, like puff piece. Oh yeah, you know, prop by the media. Yeah, yeah, it's just very suspicious in general, yeah. and his whole position right now is like he's trying to present himself I feel like as being very alone and on a mission to redeem himself you know he he, he keeps talking about like making how, customers whole yeah making customers yeah. whole and how his attorneys are in, instructing him to shut up and he's like but I'm not gonna listen to them cause I'm not like that you know I'm a good person I want to continue trying to reach out to people to fix this. I'm not going to listen to my attorneys. So like he's shifting the blame there um, over to his attorneys, right? Because uh, typically well, see, when this kind of happens, yeah. like people aren't this open about it. Exactly. The fact that he's having to highlight that he's saying, you know, that I'm not supposed to be saying these things, that should automatically be suspect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he's drawing attention to it, where it's something you wouldn't normally think of if you were telling the truth, at least. Yeah, and I think it's playing on this cultural kind of phenomenon that um, that we've established. Like when we talk about attorneys and like stuff that has to do with law, you know, there's this whole vibe about it that's. Uh, that makes it seem like, you know, very official and secret, you know, and vague, mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm not going to say it because my attorney said I shouldn't. So I think it's playing on that, like, aspect of how people perceive, like, that world. And it's using that to to try to make it seem like, you know, he's trying to do as much good as possible. You know, like that plus the constant, you know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was like my fault, blah, 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 blah. Like, I just, it's it's crazy. So like this, back to this um, New York Times thing. Like if you're, if you're uh, watching on YouTube right now, you'll be able to see this. But, but if you're not, uh, the, the beginning of the video, you know, these, so this was a live event. And there's a lot of people uh, who came here to watch. You know, it, it, I don't know what kind of people are invited to this kind of thing. Um, but of course, SBF was not actually there. He was still in the Bahamas. Uh, he was uh, doing a call in. And, but like, we'll link. Bit boy chasing him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll link to this in the description. You know, it's about like an hour long. Uh, but it's definitely worth watching just for the comedic aspect of it. Because when SBF is introduced, you know, uh, and one of the first things he says is like, you know, I've had a really bad month. And then the crowd just cracks up laughing. And it's just sort of the most like dystopian. It's one of the most yeah, dystopian. Hi yeah. Highly suspect. Yeah, it's just <laughs> so weird that this guy you know, played around with $10 billion, lost it, and then now 
for some reason he's not in jail and he's talking live with the New York Times and people are applauding him and like laughing. You know, it's it's just it's just very very weird if if you told me this was from like a movie of an alternate world or something, I totally yeah, this looks exactly like it. Um but yeah, we'll link this video uh and we're also going to go through just a few of the uh quotes and stuff from the transcript. So we'll probably do some of it this week and then uh proceed with the rest of it next week because it is quite long. Uh and this was quite recent, so we actually didn't have time uh to watch the entire thing yet. Uh but let me go ahead and change my screen share. Okay, so uh, this interview transcript uh, was prepared by Coindesk, uh, so shout out to them. Um, though I heard they're on sale. <laughs> I heard Coindesk is trying to find a buyer. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that must have to do with the uh, DCG stuff, because yeah. uh, Grayscale kind yeah. of has been having some issues. Yeah, uh, we'll probably talk about that next week, because uh, yeah. the story is still developing and you know no one has really come out and given a a clear summary of what's happening you know uh but yeah they might be trying to sell off coindesk if they need to to get some money but uh and and there are some people saying it's like a um 30 million dollar uh brand or or more no no 300 million dollar brand yeah, I mean, if you think about it too, there's just so many crypto news publications. Yeah. And how how do they really make their money? Yeah, like Coin, Coindesk has the event that they they do each year uh, where... They have consensus. Yeah. Yeah. Consensus is big. So they sell those tickets for like a grand or two a piece. Oh, yeah. It's like a grand. Um, I bought one last year and then like I couldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a waste of money. But yeah, it's it's highly infatuated, but I don't think that it's worth 300 million. That seems a little ridiculous. Yeah, like they also make some money from advertising, but now that we're in, the, in a bear market, it's like you don't know how much of that advertising was propped up by like the speculative factor, you know? Yeah, probably just taking the high periods like... yeah three or four months out of a bull market yeah we'll see what happens with that but again you know shout out to coindesk for uh sitting through an hour of this interview and typing it all up uh yeah so you know we're not gonna read everything of course but there's some quotes that are are interesting um so the first one here is from uh sam bankman fried and he says, you know, uh, for the long and short of what happened, and I'll start by saying just to make a distinction here, you look at the U.S. platform, you look at the international platform. U.S. platform is a U.S. regulated platform with American users. Uh, to my knowledge, that's fully, so fully solvent. Uh, that's fully funded. 
And you know, I believe that withdrawals could be opened up today and everyone could be made whole from that, that none of these problems plagued the US platform. He keeps doing the US platform thing, even though withdrawals were suspended and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe we're going to get to this, but I remember reading that he said after he's, you know, started following uh, his bankruptcy, chapter 11. He had an additional, I think, like four or five billion dollars come in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, he, did, did you hear about that? Yeah, he said right after the bankruptcy, like I think he said, like fifteen minutes after or something. Uh, yeah, he got fifteen minutes after he filed for bankruptcy. Apparently, uh, someone or some group of people reached out to him, committing like four billion dollars of liquidity. Yeah, so this is just a bunch of word of mouth yeah. nonsense. That's coming from him. Do you think what he's trying to do here is like repeat these points so much and to so many people? Because like he's interviewing with everyone and he just keeps on pushing these points, which don't really line up with what has actually happened. Because it, yeah, yeah, I, it, it's, it's very reminiscent of me. I don't know if you remember the whole GameStop drama. He, the way he's choosing his words. He sounds almost identical to Vlad. Yeah. You know. When, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, when the whole Citadel. Right, and, yeah. You know, they halted trading on GME and wouldn't let people buy it, but they would let them sell it. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, Pissed off that whole, what was it, Wall Street Bets? Yeah. Wall he's Street acting, Bets subreddit. Yeah. He's acting very similar to Vlad. Yeah. Because, like, it's just so far from the truth, right? Because yeah. if... The American platform was truly solvent and withdrawals could be opened up today, then you didn't need to file for bankruptcy to, right? Because, like, if it was solvent and if it was fully funded, then those people could have just taken their money off. Like, why would you have filed for bankruptcy for a company that's solvent? Like, a normal business would not do that, you know, if um, they were well. Cat capitalized, you know, like why file for bankruptcy? Like you can repeat as much as possible. Like, um, you know, there's a difference between the US platform versus the international platform. Um, and as far as I know, the US platform is fully funded. Like you can keep repeating that, but it's just like what has actually happened, like the actions that you took just doesn't really support that standpoint. Yeah, and I, I think he has a pretty good narrative going. He's trying to appeal to a lot of people. And you, you can kind of see it too. Like there's a little movement um, kind of rising with people like Bill Ackman, mm -hmm. uh, Kevin O'Leary. They've yep. all been tweeting recently supporting him. Yep. Kevin O'Leary said, you know, I'd invest again in this kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a paid Yeah, he just tweeted FTX. like yesterday that, like, oh, I, I think after the New York Times thing, like, oh, he tweeted like, oh, Sam yeah. has good intentions or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and then you had the tweet from Bill Ackman. He was like, uh, hear me out. I think he's telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and the interesting thing here is like, technically what he's saying and specifically the way he's saying it 
could make it true. Like, I I feel like he has a he's very specific with his uh with his choices of words. Um, for example, like there was a a Twitter space today where he was talking with um the guy from Crypto Banter was there. Uh, ran, you know him. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, like there were a few more people on the there. ICO show. Yeah. And like they were asking him about oh what was it? You know, they were asking him something. You know, it does it doesn't really matter what they were asking him, but the way he was responding, you know, he always qualified it was like as far as I know, you know, or the way I yeah. understand it. Never answers it directly yeah. and uh you want to pull this up on a screen actually have a perfect clip representing just that right here okay let's i think this was from the yeah it's from the deal book summit cool let's uh let me pull that up and then we'll watch that after we get through this part you know i'm trying to fix twitter on the side so uh okay i got it loading now um so let's watch that part right after this um yeah like the so the next quote that he says is so this is another example of the the way that you know he chooses to phrase things he says as i try and reconstruct this you know over the last month he says, I have limited access to data, but my, 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 my view of it from what I have been able to see is roughly that, you know, basically, look, a year ago, Alameda Research had, I think, something like 10% leverage. They had something like 10 times the assets of the position that it had on. Um, you know, so 10%. Leverage, you know, that suggests they have 10 times the assets. But like the interesting part to take from this quote is when he says, I have That's limited still high access. No, no, no. It's I have limited access to the data. So, like, and, and he'll say this like a few more times where, um, like, if someone asks him about, you know, something about the bank accounts, like, how did they get messed up? Or someone asks him about, um, for example, the, the, the apparent like back, back door that some people s say he had, it, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll respond with like, I have limited access, you know, to the software. I have no access to, to the data. And then he'll shift that because, because like data is objective and what we're looking for is objective answers. But when people ask him about something, he'll first establish that he cannot give an objective answer by saying, I don't have access to the, to the actual stuff that would give you the objective answer. And then he'll right. shift and say, but my view of it, you know, and when he says, like, I'm telling the truth or whatever, it's like, your view of something is always going to be your truth, right? Like, exactly. It, you could have done the most absurd thing, you know, like you, you could have killed someone and if you somehow convince yourself that you didn't do it, 
you know, like you could say that is your truth. You know, this is your perspective on the world. I didn't kill this person. Um, oh, but I don't have the data. You know, I don't have the body. Like I don't have a picture of the body. Yeah. Uh, but this is my <laughs> view of what happened. Uh, so like he keeps on doing this where um, when someone just asks for, asks a question that is clearly a yes or no question. And instead of just saying yes or no, like, for example, when someone asks him, did the, did the trading firm um, use the money of the customers? Like, that's a yes or no question. He'll do like a roundabout, like, well, it was something with the bank accounts. I didn't have access to that. You know, at that point, I was no longer um, the CEO of the trading firm. So I don't know exactly what's happening there. You know, I was focusing my time on the exchange. Like, dude, it's a yes or no question. But the fact that he is being so roundabout about it, that clearly means yes. You know, that's just right. another way of saying yes. Uh, what are your thoughts on, um, on this particular quote here? Yeah, it's just very dodgy. Yeah. Uh, his behavior just really hasn't changed. Yeah, and like, like if you have limited access to data and you're kind of the chief person who filed for bankruptcy and who knows where all of the data is, like, who else has the data, you know? Who has access to it if not you? Very weird. Um, okay, so the next, the next strange thing here is... Uh, this section is when Andrew Sorkin is asking about the terms of service of FTX, where it says none of the assets in your account are the property of or shall or may be loaned to FTX trading. So here is, this part is wild, Will, okay? This, get ready for this. <laughs> so Sam, in response to this, says, so there's that piece from the terms of service but there were a number of other parts of the terms of service, and there's a number of other parts of the platform on top of that. There is the borrower lending facility where users were lending billions of dollars of assets to each other, you know, collateralized by assets on the exchange. So what he's saying there is, if I sign up for an account on FTX, okay, uh, mm-hmm. And this is the same for other exchanges as well that support, you know, um, basically any exchange that supports um, trading like a futures market. Because, you know, there's a component to that. You know, if you have leverage, it means someone needs to lend and someone needs to borrow on the other side. So there's this, um, there's this feature of the platform that lets people borrow and lets people lend. And he says the users of the platform we're lending billions of dollars to to each other, which in itself is not really a problem. You know, like if I Fair signed up, up yeah. for an account, I deposit, let's say, ten grand on there. Um, I can lend that out to someone who uh, wants to borrow that, and in exchange, I get paid, you know, some sort of rate. Uh, so that in itself is not a problem. You know, it's pretty basic how it works, but. When Andrew Sorkin then asks him about 
But just to make this straight, was they are commingling of funds. So that's referring to、um, the commingling of funds between FTX and the Alameda Research,、um, the trading firm.、Uh, so SBF says, I didn't knowingly commingle funds. He didn't say, I didn't commingle funds. He says, I didn't knowingly. That's a very plausible deniability statement. Exactly. And here's how, he, here's how he is trying to present this whole thing. So, first, he says there's a feature on FTX where the users can borrow and lend with each other. And then in this next section, he said Alameda is one of those. So, he's saying that. His trading firm is just another user on the platform who's participating in this you know, scheme、uh, where you know, they, they're just another user, they're just another account. There's nothing special about them. They were just on the exchange. They were just borrowing from other people on the exchange. They were lending to other people.、Uh, and so this is and... how he qualifies it. You know? Yeah. It's crazy.、Uh, And then he says, I was frankly surprised by how big Alameda's position was, which points to another failure of oversight on my part and a failure to appoint someone to be chiefly in charge of that. But I wasn't trying to commingle funds. I wasn't trying to. <laughs> right. So first he says, I didn't knowingly. And then at the end he says, but I wasn't trying to, which means he did. Right. Because like, If you didn't knowingly,、yeah. but then at the end you say, I wasn't trying to do it, that means you did do it,、uh, but you just don't want to admit it, you know? But it's really interesting, like how, like the mental gymnastics that he takes to,、um, to justify this, you know? Like the trading firm is just another user on the platform. Like, and when, and when they say, like, the, The, ac- the accusation is that the, the trading firm was using the money of FTX, cu- of FTX customers. And he's saying, yeah, that did happen. That was just through you know, this feature that anyone can access.、Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, the, the issue wasn't the, the access, it was just how big it got.、Uh, And then Andrew Sorkin kind of fires back and he says,、uh, Well, Caroline Ellison、uh, told Alameda staffers that they used FTX client funds to cover loans that were being recalled because of the Luna triggered credit crunch. Caroline says that she, Sam, Gary were aware of this. How do you square with what you originally said on Twitter that this was simply an $8 billion accounting mistake? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.、Uh, so so、uh, he basically res- responds to that. And、um, again, he's, he, takes the same, he takes the same thing where.、Uh, yeah, like yeah. You, you can just look at this text too and see two paragraphs. What he just asked did not deserve a two paragraph response. Yeah. Yeah, it's like. So it's, it, it's, it's a lot of the same. It's the dodgy.、Yeah. It's the not answering. Or, I guess, to be succinct, saying a lot, but 
saying nothing at the same time. Yeah, like he just does the same thing. Like it's a it's a yeah. roundabout way of saying, well, I wasn't head of the trading firm, so I actually can't take responsibility. Didn't for have access what they to said. the data. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it it comes down here and says, uh, I know the people from. Oh, so now Andrew Sorkin is trying to gauge the relationship between the people from the trading firm and the people from from the exchange. Because, um, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried has always made it seem like they're separate companies. You know, he made this whole thing, like, I'm going to leave the trading firm. So to prevent any conflict of interest, they're completely separate. But then later on, it was found out that they all live together. Um, so um, Andrew Sorkin says uh, that Sam said, I know the people from Alameda decently well almost as if you don't know what's happening there and there isn't like a large amount you know of ways remain that we are actively working together or anything like that alameda is a wholly separate entity there are different offices like different principal offices notice how he first says different offices but then qualifies that Switches with off. principal yeah. offices you know and what that what that means is like we all like, work from oh, home now. Oh, these people aren't next door. Like we all work yeah. from home. Like the the principal office, the headquarters, can be in a completely different country. It doesn't mean you can't work together in the same space. You know, everyone has computers. Everyone has the internet. Um, just because my company is based in an, a different country doesn't mean I have to be there. Uh, so he says we're not living under. I mean, we're not working under the same corporate umbrella or anything like that. And then and. Andrew Sorkin says, uh, it seems like you're all in the same penthouse. <laughs> uh, and then SBF is like, well, most of uh, the trading firm was not there. And, and then he's like, I don't live there now. So, so it's like, okay. like <laughs> he, he did deny it at all. <laughs> right. So it's, So when it comes to this trading firm, who are the most important people? You know, like, it doesn't matter that most of them were not there, okay? Like, if there was, like, let's scale this up a bit. If there was a big company like Apple, would it really matter that, you know, um, like, who's more important? Like, the CEO of Apple or a hundred employees who work at the Apple store? You know, like, I'm not talking about, right. like, who's a more important person. Because, uh, you know, everyone is important, of course, but like in the context of the business, like speaking from a strategic kind of um, standpoint, it's like if you are trying to uh, do something where you're trying to leverage someone from Apple, you know, to help you accomplish something, would you want leverage on the ceo of apple or a hundred people who work in retail probably the ceo right so like just because most of the trading firm didn't live with sam doesn't mean that like the important people weren't there uh and then it's like and then he says i don't live there now well we're talking about the past like it doesn't really matter where you are now uh and uh you know he he, and then he says, but you know, I did live with one or two members of 
Alameda for a little while. Okay, so those one or two members, probably the one or two most important people up there, right? Like Caroline. The, yeah, like yeah. the people who have access to the bank accounts. Uh, and he says, this is a pretty mistake, pretty big mistake in oversight of mine. Um, He's using the word oversight a lot. Yes, yes. I was going to say that. Like, that, that definitely yeah. seems to be his frame. Yeah. That this was just a big oversight. Well, he's positioning himself as someone who, who was not in the driver's seat. Like he's, he's yeah. trying to make it seem like, you know, I didn't know about this. You know, like I'm just as much of a victim as you. I didn't know about this. Um, trying to disassociate himself from the situation, which sort of like a classic playbook in some ways. Um, and then he was looking at how intertwined FTX and Alameda were. Um, so his, his whole thing now is, it is interesting, right? So uh, for an exchange, like how does an exchange make money? Like they make money from fees. Uh, and in order to get more fees, you need to trade uh, more back and forth. So uh, he was saying back in 2019, the volume, uh, which is, you know, the, basically the, the sum of all of like the size of the buys and sells on the exchange. So that's what the volume is. Uh, he says mm -hmm. back in 2019, um, Alameda represented 45% of volume on FTX. And then in 2022, it fell down to 2%. So that, like if you just saw that number without any context, that's a good thing. Because uh, it means in terms of the volume, uh, it's less reliant on a single entity, which, you know, is a good thing. Like if the overall trading activity is growing and this specific firm, you know, like their share of it is going down. That means there's more people who are participating on the platform, mm -hmm. which, which is good. Uh, so he's like, well, I saw that the volume was going down. So I thought it was like, everything was all good. You know, it means that the market was growing healthily, but then he's like, oh, but in terms of positions and balances, it was a much larger fraction. So, so what that's saying is like, yes, the volume that they were actually trading was, um, was smaller, but the percentage of like, let's say FTX had $1 billion on its books, like the fraction of that 1 billion, like the actual capital, not the volume trading back and forth, like the actual capital a lot of that was the trading firm. And he's like, oh, but I didn't look at that. And then he says again, that's a pretty big oversight. So, Will, like, this, yeah. this, this, this smells bad. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, pretty self-explanatory, I think. If, if you're the CEO of of a crypto exchange like i feel like you should always have a pretty good sense as to um what accounts on your exchange you know are the biggest accounts because like 
and it would make sense for you to know that because if those mm-hmm. accounts like withdrew um you know it could be like a risky thing for your exchange so as the ceo you like you probably should always have you know like s- stay up to date with like who the biggest accounts on your exchange are it's like how do you how do you say that's an oversight it's just <laughs> and and then he says and then andrew sorkin says but sam i think the question is whether you were supposed to have access to these accounts to begin with um so that's saying that um uh that's in reference to uh how in the beginning um ftx didn't have a bank account uh and they were using the bank account of the trading firm to basically um, receive payments uh, from people trade from people who want to trade on the exchange. Uh, so SBF in, in in response to that says, "I mean, look, I wasn't running Alameda. I didn't know exactly what was going on. I didn't know the size of their position. A lot of these things that I've learned over the last month." that I learned as I was sort of frantically digging into this on November 6th, 7th, and 8th. And obviously that's a pretty big mistake. That's a pretty big oversight that I wasn't more aware. There's the word again. Again, right, oversight. I think I was, you know, scared of, I was nervous because of the conflict of interest about being too involved. And obviously that shouldn't have meant that I didn't have real oversight. Or that really shouldn't have meant that I failed to appoint anyone to be in charge of that oversight. So he's saying that he was nervous to be too involved in the trading firm uh, in terms of knowing how big their balance was. Like that that's not a conflict of interest. A, a conflict of interest is when you're actively involved in both sides yeah. and playing against each other but here that, we're just asking that like you as the exchange should know the size of their balance that's not a conflict of interest yeah that that's more like oh shit you know i don't want to know how bad or how big this is yeah. or the more obvious thing you know you already know what it is right I I and I think the real I'm talking to to Caroline exactly. etc every single night. Yeah. And she's living with me. Exactly. I think the real conflict of interest was not between SBF I, I mean was not between FTX and the trading firm. It was actually between Sam and his friends. Like mm-hmm. I think maybe Sam was afraid to even look into it because he valued perhaps the friendship with these people more than what these people are doing in terms of business. Like, um, imagine they're all just eating their vegetables f- for dinner, though there's a, a recent rumor that, vegan. that he wasn't vegan. So, <laughs> yeah, he has been vegan for the past, what was it, 17 months? Oh my God, I, I saw something on Twitter. I don't something know if it was that. fake, but. Like they were saying he ate like a thousand shrimp in Las Vegas or something. Did you see that? Oh. Oh. After his <laughs> long, long month, as he put it, you know. Yeah. Maybe he deserved some shrimp. Maybe. Maybe. But like, 
imagine them all just at the table, you know, they're they've been friends for a long time, I think. They've been through a lot of things together and you know, Sam there, there is a sort of bond too. Oh yeah. When you you know, start a business, especially remotely in crypto. Oh yeah. You know, with people you've really never met. Yeah. Like you kind of carry a much deeper bond. Yeah. And I but, I think they like went back didn't they go to school together too? Like they're Stanford. Yeah, they're sort of like family yeah. friends. So there's definitely a bond there. And mm-hmm. when you live in the same house, you know, you don't want to ruin the vibe. Uh like when you're not running a ten billion dollar business where there might be some commingling of funds, like if you're not in that kind of situation, I can understand, you know, maybe not wanting to bring up something weird to ruin the vibe, like if there's not enough at stake. But here is something totally different where, you know, like her trading firm was trading on his exchange and they were living together and they're friends. So like he didn't want to make things awkward. So he didn't ask her about you know, the the extent of what was happening. Um, and, like, maybe he truly thinks that, like, uh, there was no conflict of interest um, between FTX and the trading firm. But there was definitely a conflict of interest, I think, between um, Sam Bankman fried you know, and the actual people who worked at that firm. Because, like, Right. I I don't think he wanted to, like he didn't want to wreck the friendship. Like it could really be as simple as that, you know. Uh, so he says I I was nervous about a conflict of interest between um these two, and so was pretty intentional about not being very involved in what was happening at Alameda. And then, freaking. Andrew Sorkin just asks, when did the the commingling of assets begin? You know, just a straight question. When? Yeah. Now, give us a date. Uh, And then, you know, again, he goes, um, he goes back to the talk about he was mistaken uh, because of um, the whole volume thing where at one point it was 40% and then it scaled down to 2%. So that made him not pay as much attention. and then, yeah, he moves on to the whole thing about bank accounts. Uh, this is very strange here. Okay. And this is the last thing for now um, that we're going to okay. take a look at. But um, he says, I'm still looking into the details of some pieces of this, but I do think that in addition to what I had seen as sort of a lot of the standard borrows here, that when we scrolled back to 2018 or 2019, I guess FTX didn't have bank accounts. It didn't have any bank accounts globally. We were trying to get them. It took us a while. It took us a few years. And you know, there are customers who wanted to wire money to FTX. And so I think in the meantime, some of them were wiring money to Alameda Research to get credited on FTX. And I think that was a substantial sum. And I think that the FTX's internal accounting did correctly effectively try to debit Alameda for those funds. 
but it didn't happen in the primary account, and so it didn't happen. Okay, think about how crazy this is. Okay, just to um to visualize these with real numbers. What he's saying here is that FTX didn't have a bank account, so the money was wired to Alameda Research. Okay, so let's say the trading firm had a million dollars in their um, FTX account. And then someone, another person on the platform wanted to wire money. So they would wire money to the bank account of the trading firm, let's say another million. So at this point, uh, the, the balance of the trading firm on the exchange is 2 million, right? It's 1 million mm -hmm. plus 1 million. At that point, what, what he's saying, what should have happened is, uh, so what, what did happen was the other person's account was also increased by 1 million. So, you know, once you're on, on, once you're on the platform, like once you put the money onto a centralized exchange, uh, what they show you on your account, you know, might not actually be what is actually backed, right? So what he's saying there is after the 1 million was transferred by the other, other person, what should have happened is the 2 million on the trading firm's account should have um, decreased by 1 million. And then the other person's account should have been increased by 1 million, right? Uh, so they're trying to use the trading firm's FTX account as basically like a middleman, you know, to facilitate provide liquidity yeah to like to use their bank account you know so you deposit yeah. it to the trading firm's account and then it's supposed to debit it uh so that means to reduce the amount and then it's supposed to give but it, it just kept growing well what actually happened was okay so let's take the same thing the one million from the uh from the other user they deposited one million to the bank account of the trading firm and then after that the trading firm's balance increased by 1 million and the other person's uh balance also increased by 1 million so now there's 2 million dollars on the account i mean on the platform when actually only 1 million dollars was sent to the exchange so he boils this down to internal accounting issue. So he's saying that, um, where is it? Uh, FTX's internal accounting did correctly. It said it effectively tried to debit the primary account of the trading firm. So on FTX, you can make different accounts. You know, you have your primary account and then some people maybe like to do like a trading account. And then some people maybe like to make another account um, for like trading high risk coins or something. Um, so it's basically like different containers for your capital, you know, within your same account, you know. Yeah. So, so he said that this system of debiting only applied to the primary account. But when the money was being deposited into the bank account, it was being credited into a secondary account on the trading firm's FTX account. And the system wasn't set up to debit money from the secondary account. So it just was never debited. So from the trading firm side, they see, wow, we have so much money. 
But actually, all of that was supposed to be, um, you know, if someone was trying to put a million dollars in through your bank account, it was supposed to first add $1 million to the trading firm's account and then remove that $1 million and then add $1 million to the other person's account. But that removal step did not apply here because it was not the primary account and the system was only configured to debit from primary account. And it's just crazy that there's no... So like when you make these kind of software systems uh, or code any kind of software, you know, like usually there's some sort of system to handle, you know, exceptions you know or when things go wrong in the code it should alert somewhere the fact that there was this huge loophole here where you know like the the debit system didn't apply to secondary accounts so you could just print money basically what's happening is alameda is more or less a hedge fund yeah they're getting all this money that are supposed to be customer balances on the exchange, but they're not getting debited. Right. So I guess a fake balance is being posted for these customers' balances. And meanwhile, their account balance on the exchange just keeps growing infinitely. Yeah, well, that's the distinction. So if it was actually down to this bug, then they didn't actually steal the customer's funds. It was just an incorrect, like there was no actual action to steal. Cause, yeah. cause like, I think what a lot of people don't understand about how these centralized platform works is like they put money there and then something on the screen gets updated. There's no actual mechanism that mm -hmm. ensures that, well, you know, some people like to, uh, some companies now are starting to do like the proof of reserves and stuff like that. But like, depending on who you're banking with and you know, how much effort you put into integrating with that bank, like it's not always a system where it ensures that both sides are equal at the same time. And, and we clearly know that because if that kind of system were set up, then this wouldn't have happened. Uh, but, but like, by doing it this way, I actually think you can say that um, they weren't they they didn't steal the customers' funds. It was just a visual glitch because <laughs> because the the balances weren't updating. You know, because it wasn't in the primary account. It was a bug in the exchange, like, and we didn't realize it. <laughs> crazy it's just crazy like this is why we need decentralized exchanges like you you can't fake this kind of stuff on chain like you can't deposit money to an account have that account send it to a different account and then the first account still has that money like that that's just like not how blockchains work so like the the faster i think we can move to um you know a truly decentralized you know trading is so i'm looking forward to that because there's going to be no more of this you know well there was a bug 
crazy stuff happening here. Um, and just the last thing I wanted to say quickly is that um, I don't know if you saw this lately, but one thing he's been saying a lot is that like he doesn't know how to code and he's not very technical. That was like the main thing he prided himself on. Yeah. You know, when he was marking FTX, like yeah. he was this super genius. Yep. And coder. Exactly. Analyst. Yeah. And when people ask him about the back door now, Guru. he's like, well, I don't even know how to code. Oh, I, I don't know how to code. And that kind of like also works here, right? Like if he didn't have enough technical background, maybe he didn't spot this bug. <laughs> Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we are, um, let's do like a few rapid fire things and then uh, we'll call it a day. Let's pull up that video I sent. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think it was from, what was it, Ramp Capital? Yeah. Let me switch the screen share. I don't know if the sound will come through though, but let's see. Oh, and I feel like I have to put this out there, but just in case people think I'm a FTX shill, I am not. Oh, it says. Oh yeah, yeah. Risk management. Nice T-shirt, Will. Just in case. Risk management department. The way he answered this was. Very telling. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I, I think that tells you all you really need to know there. Could you hear that on your side, Will? I watched it before. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe we don't have this set up right for uh sound to come through. Um but we can link it below. Yeah, we'll definitely link it below and I'll figure out how to uh, also route sound in um, for the future for sure. But like he was just asking Sam um, if FTX like uh, let money and then, sorry, if Alameda Research, wait, what was it? If FTX lent money to mm -hmm. Alameda Research. And and Sam's just like, uh, uh, I'm well, not aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely worth watching. Uh, we'll, I uh, will link it in the podcast description. Um, let's just quickly switch over to rapid fire. All right, just a few other things that happened this week. Um, again, you know, we'll... Catchy title. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll look, I screwed up. Uh, we'll definitely... Oh, yeah, this is a picture of what this event was like. So, you know, looks like a pretty classy event, you know. Uh, so we'll link this as well. Um, and another thing that happened recently, of course, was the bankruptcy of BlockFi. It's happening. Yeah, you're, you're starting to see the fallout. Yep. Uh, so BlockFi is another 
service that was similar to Celsius, where people deposited funds and then they earned some kind of yield. Um, and that yield, of course, is generated by something. You know, it has to come from somewhere. So BlockFi, in this case, uh, you know, they they had loaned said yeah they had loaned uh 680 million dollars to Alameda Research uh, because you know maybe there was some promise BlockFi was probably just you know doing the safe thing and going an anchor protocol <laughs> oh yeah that would have worked out well how they're getting their, exactly. their payments yeah well the um the result would have been the same like had they gone on anchor had they deposited or oh, had they given it to 3AC had they given it to Sam Beckman Freed, like apparently it would have all been the same. Like they would have been better off just depositing all of that into, you know, one of the protocols on Ethereum, you know, generate three to three to four percent and pay that out. But of course, you know, have to be greedy. Um so they lost uh six hundred and eighty million uh, from their loan to Alameda Research. Uh, they probably gave that loan because Al Alameda Research, you know, was one of the big market-making firms. And perhaps they, they promised that they would be able to give BlockFi X percentage on top of that six, 680 million. So, you know, it's, it's sad. Uh, but it's not surprising. Um, really, when all of these yield platforms were out there, uh, I I don't know if you ever used any of them, Will, but um, I certainly was not on Celsius or BlockFi. Yeah, I mean, BlockFi was popular. You know, I I heard about it. I didn't really trust it. the The biggest one was Anchor Protocol. Everybody was talking about Anchor Protocol. They were like, you know, after the crypto bull market, just deposit my gains in Anchor Protocol, oh, yeah. get twenty percent. Yeah, twenty percent APY was was that whole thing, and oh, and then yeah, yeah, it blew up. Yeah, it blew up like with the DPEG from Luna UST. Yeah, but but the most funny part of it was like it was twenty percent for a long time, and that was the promise in the white paper. And then, and then when, went down to like 17, I think it was. Yeah, and then at one point it went down to 18, and then pe people were yeah. like, well, like that's not weird. Like 18% is still a lot. Well, it's it's not weird that from the perspective that it's like still a lot. You know, it is still a lot. What's weird is that like, well, you promised 20%, and now it's 18. So, but I think BlockFi and Anchor were very different because Anchor was like truly on-chain. Um, so yeah. the so the customers, you know, they they did have to, you know, know how to use BlockFi a was like wallet. more of a yeah yeah. To my understanding, it was more of like a service where oh, you yeah. held crypto yeah just within it, and you would just be given like staking rewards in a sense just for using their app or whatever. Yeah, so like people could like buy Bitcoin on Coinbase or something, and instead of keeping it on Coinbase or sending it to their own wallet they can send it to BlockFi and hold it there yeah they would essentially custody your crypto and give you 
yield on uh, that. Yeah, yield. Yeah, yeah. So they they blew up as well, and of course, you know, it's always let's point our finger at someone else. BlockFi tells U.S. bankruptcy court that it is the antithesis of FTX. I don't know if there's too much truth in that because, you know, um, you did loan six hundred and eighty million of your customers' funds. So, <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest news, and we're going to have to see how it develops, is this uh, DCG stuff. Yeah, you know, there's they're supposedly well, I mean, next to Satoshi, they're the Grayscale is the largest BTC holder. Mm-hmm. That I'm aware of. They have something like what three quarters of a million BTC in the trust. Yeah, it could be something like that. Um although that's never been proved. Yeah. Like right. there's no addresses to kind of verify on chain. Yeah, the only verification that we have is a statement from Coinbase because DCG yeah. uses Coinbase uh Prime to uh sorry, Coinbase uh I forget what part of the business, but oh, Coinbase Custody. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, they use Coinbase Custody to um, hold the Bitcoin, and Coinbase came out with a press release saying that, like, yeah, they like we're holding their Bitcoin, but people are asking for addresses, and you know, they're they're always like, well, like, you know, like we can't provide it because it's a, it's a security kind of thing, you know. But like to my go in there and brute force it, but like someone could also brute force the top wallet on the network, you know, like what makes your wallet so so special that no one can know about it? Like that's the whole point of yeah. having a pub like a public key and a private key. You know, you're supposed to be able to openly share the public key. That's why it's called a public key. It's it's all very sketchy, but maybe, yeah. Maybe DCG will participate in proof of reserves. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, like they've been strangely quiet. Uh, but Gary, yeah. or was it Barry? Barry, Barry yeah. Silbert? <laughs> Barry, Gary, <laughs> call- Terry, Mary. <laughs> too, too, too many Garys. Yeah. The FTX Gary was on my mind. Oh, yeah. But Barry Silbert did tweet, you know, Basically, kind of was like what Sam did and said, "Oh, you know, we we have all this. Take my word for it." And oh yeah, said there's no fires brewing. Essentially, yeah. I was like, "What else can he say?" You know, that's the same thing that um, yeah, three AC said before they blew up. That's the same thing Doquan said before they blew up. Same thing at SBF said. So, so we'll see if this is just another piece of the trend, or you know, if they're actually okay. Like. I certainly hope that they're okay, and I also don't know enough about how the whole trust thing works um, mm-hmm. to to even speculate how, you know, if they actually had to unwind, like how that process would look like. Like I, I for some reason, I don't think it's just going to be like a market sell, you know, because there's not enough li- liquidity to to just absorb a market sell like that, you know. Um, yeah, that would not be good at all. Yeah. Or it could be something like um what Do you know that guy Jed who was working with with Ripple and then he Jed McCaleb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Yeah. 
Like his whole thing was. Oh yeah, yeah. He could yeah, sell. He had, percentage. he had the unlock yeah. period. Yeah, yeah. And I think, but he had so much that yeah. the supply given to him over time, he just kept selling it over time. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. he was limited to like selling a small percentage of the volume of the previous day. Um, so there, there was like a a rule that was like that. So you know, if they had to unwind. That would be preferable, maybe, but that's a lot of Bitcoin to sell. You know, that's gonna take years. Um, maybe, maybe if that happens, you know, that's how Ether is gonna flip Bitcoin. <laughs> the flippening. <laughs> the the flippening. Uh, okay. So the last thing is just um, actually let let's let's save this particular topic for 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 next week. Um, it was recently. Uh, discussed that MetaMask, the wallet, uh, basically shares, basically logs the IP address of their users, and um, you know, presumably does something with that data. Uh, which I think my views on it are very different than most people's views. Like, I think most people just assume, like, oh, this is like a terrible thing. You know, this is the worst thing. Um, well, you you have. First-hand experience with that stuff, Brian. Yeah, um, from working at um, web hosting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll talk more about uh, this next week because the the situation is is actually very nuanced. But like the, I'll I'll leave it by saying like my whole philosophy with crypto is that the whole space is open. Like unlike anything else. Right, because if if you if you look at TradFi, um, and if you don't like the Bank of America website for some reason, there's no way that you're gonna make another website to, you know, uh, manage your Bank of America account. Like that that's not something that you can do by yourself. No. Uh, you know, there's other companies like Stripe and Plaid that, because of their size and because of um, the licenses that they have, they're able to integrate with banks to, um, to, to help manage the account for their specific use case. But as a single person, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. The cool thing about crypto is you can do that. If if you don't like this wallet, freaking code your own, right? Like that's the whole point of crypto. <laughs> that all of this is like open source infrastructure that anyone can hook into. So everyone's just like screaming, oh no, they're logging their IP addresses. Well, it's like they're a business. You know, if if you don't like it, just learn the skills on YouTube and, and make your own. Uh so we'll we'll talk more in depth about uh that that whole thing next week because it it also ties into this this meme phrase of decentralization, you know, no one really knows what it means. Uh, but yeah, did, did you have anything else to uh, share before we log off? Uh, I do not really. I think we can close off here. Cool. All right. Yeah. So we'll be back uh, next week for another episode and probably talking about SBF again. <laughs> I feel like, this is going to be going on for a we're while. We're going to be talking about him for months. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe in your podcast player or on YouTube or wherever you are listening. Uh, see you back next week.